You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Well, good afternoon. Merry Christmas. Uh, for those of you who don't know uh, me, my name is Keith Miller. I'm the lead pastor at Meadowbrook Church. Uh, for many of you who are visiting family, uh, visiting uh, Meadowbrook, uh, celebrating the birth of our Savior, uh, welcome. We're so happy that you could be here. Uh, as uh, Thomas said at the beginning of our, uh, of our service, there will, uh, all money that's given this evening, and you can do so by dropping an offering in, in a box on your way out. There are boxes as you make your way out through the building. Uh, all of that, 100% of that, will go to Meals on Wheels. I just want to uh, reiterate that. That's just our way of wanting to give back to the community. Well, I was thinking about the manger a little bit. I was thinking about uh, the place that uh, Jesus was was in that he was born into, and uh, it just got me thinking. I, how many of you have children over the age of 20? Just raise your. Okay, cool. How many of you have children where the age gap is somewhere around 10 or more years? Okay, so you remember, right? Well, so ours are 10 years apart. For those of us who are in our 40s, like we would go outside without helmets while we rode bikes, uh, roll around in the dirt drank, uh, we drank like 100% uh, milk. It wasn't like, it wasn't none of this watered down stuff. Uh, I don't even think, I don't even think almond milk existed at that time. We drank tap water. I probably as a child drank, I was, as a baby was probably fed tap water. And here I am, I'm alive. And so then when our oldest was born, the one who just did the scripture reading, when he was born, there were certain rules that were put in place. You know, tap water is not really recommended. Whole milk, you know, on occasion, you, right? That was like early 2000, that was 2000. And then, then our youngest was born 10 years later. And so no longer were children should drink or, you know, you were not a good parent if you gave them tap water, right? Uh, whole milk caused cancer. And uh, what are some other things? Uh, make sure you wear your helmet. Don't roll around in the dirt. Uh, and, and the list goes on. So all of that was in my brain as I was working on this, this meditation on, on Christmas. Think about where Jesus was laid, right? So a stable, most likely. Some, some scholars think that the stable was probably in the center of, of somebody's home where they kept the animals. There's nowhere else to st for them to stay. Maybe it was a stable outside of a home. We don't know exactly, but it was a stable. So in front of my computer, I thought, what were the risks for Jesus, baby Jesus, laying in a manger that animals, was a feeding trough, that animals drooled in, spit in, sneezed in, and the hay that they used for bedding. And so I, I discovered some things, and I am not, like, I, I am what you would, like, I grew up around big cities all my life, so I had to, I had to look on the internet to get this information. Some of you are like, yeah, like some of the stuff I'm going to share with you, you're like, yep, yep, knew that. I have cattle. Um, <laughs> all right, so if there, were, if there was a donkey, which we have every reason to believe there was a donkey, if there were cattle, if there were sheep, if there were chickens, you had the smell of manure, right? Not a hospital room, but manure-infested, urine-infested ground. 
Jesus was born into. And then I just thought, well, what kind of bugs were probably around? Well, there was the cattle biting lice. Yeah, and there was, along that time of the year, because most likely Jesus was born maybe, I don't want to ruin this for you, but probably March, maybe early April, some think. So that would have been high season for, for, for cattle lice. An, an annoying species of fly, common in the Middle East, known as the, I think it's pronounced the bizarre fly, which sounds ominous, uh, which, would, which was known to spread an irritating eye disease. So he had, he had those guys flying around, Jesus. Then you had uh, another type of fly, a stable fly, that was com- you know, would commonly suck the blood from cattle, but occasionally would bite humans, which, um, which were known on occasion to carry anthrax. So you have that surrounding Jesus. A lot of other, I mean, a lot of horrible things. So milk was not, whole milk was not the greatest threat to baby Jesus. And then, and rats and mice. Uh, Then you think of the feeding trough. Like there was no Clorox in Jesus's day. Like Mary couldn't tell Joseph, get the Clorox, wipe down the manger. We have to make do. Like my guess is Joseph, I mean, Joseph was a dude. So what did he do? Like he, he, he did probably what I would have done. Dump everything out, brush it off a little bit, throw some hay in there. Like, so this is what Jesus was laid in. And I just thought, okay, so how about, how about, the, how about the hay or the straw that was used for, most likely used for bedding? Well... Do um, you have some type of this, this uh, straw-infested itch mite that were that was most likely in the straws? So that, I've said this before, like the, the, in the hymn, in the Christmas Carol, no crying he makes, describing of Jesus. My guess is he cried for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> and then the first group of people that were invited to witness this Christ child were not the Magi. They came a little later. It was the shepherds. The shepherds who spent all day with sheep. So I thought, well, what kind of diseases did sheep possibly carry? I'm not going to get into all the details, but I did find something. Um, There was a uh, type of maggot that would crawl up their snouts and now I'm getting gross, I know. But hey, it's Christmas. So, and they would live in their throats. And so if they brought sheep with them, I mean, if occasionally they would sneeze out these maggots. I don't know. Yeah, see? I, I didn't say cool. I said, ew, that's gross when I discovered that. This was the manger that Jesus was laid in. This was the manger he was laid in. And my, my point is simply this. The King of kings and Lord of lords entered into our world and entered into a mess, right? Hey, there's, a, there's a passage I'm going to read for you. You don't have to stand. I just, I just want you to hear this. The words will not be on the screen, but it's from Hebrews, and it's in the New Testament, and it describes Jesus, but it, it gets into the details of who Jesus was and who he is. It says this, God after... He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Speaking of Jesus. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. 
When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's a description of Jesus. Like our manger scene is like sanitized. Like this is nice and clean and shiny. That's not the way it was when Jesus was born. This is the world he entered into, a world full of a mess. Not just all the diseases that you know, surrounded him as a baby, but the mess of sinful humanity. If, we, if each and every one of us are honest, you, would, you, you recognize that our world is upside down. Things are broken. It is not the way it should be. I, my grandma, when she, when she, just before she passed away, she said to me, and she had given her life to Jesus, and she placed her faith and trust in him, but just before she died, she said, uh, Keith, this is not goodbye, this is see you later. But we live in a world where goodbye is far too common, isn't it? And, um, and so this little baby was born, Jesus, and he was laid in a manger. There are prophets who spoke hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, who said things like this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. Well, what does that mean? It means God with us. Emmanuel would be laid in a feeding trough, surrounded by all kinds of who knows what, and, and, and he would be born. The angel said to Mary that he will save his people from their sins. Another prophet by the name of Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, said this, for a child will be born to us. This is probably on some of your Christmas cards you already received. A child would be born to us, a son will be given to us, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's who he is. And in Micah, the prophet, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, said, But you, but as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will come forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This is the one who was laid in a manger, who entered into the mess of our world to, 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 to be the remedy for our sin problem, for our mess. And as I was thinking about this passage in Hebrews, I just, there were just some things that I, 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 was, I gleaned from, from just three short verses, and, and, and I'll have these on the screen. This is what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us about this Jesus who was laid in a manger that he is the only way to know God. So this is the most perfect revelation that God revealed of himself was his son. And Jesus didn't become the son when Jesus was, when, when, when he was miraculously conceived in Mary's womb as Mary was a virgin. He, he was for all of eternity the son. The Bible teaches that God is three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is the only way to know God. Some of you are here, and you're, you're not even sure. You're not sure. What do I do with this Jesus? I'm just here because my family wanted me to come. I'm here because it's just a nice thing to do. But the question, the most important question you could ever answer during your lifetime is first, the first question is, who is Jesus? The second question is, why did he come? And the third question, if you answer the second question, the third question is, what does it mean to follow him? Jesus said of himself, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is not found, <laughs> but lost. We're a mess. The manger and that first Christmas is a testament to the fact that God 
in the person of his son entered into our mess, became like us. And he had to, he humbled himself. He had to learn all the stuff that we have to learn as, you know, as, as babies. He, he had to learn language. He had to learn how to speak Hebrew and Aramaic and maybe some form of, of Greek. Um, he had to try certain foods. You know, maybe there were certain foods that made baby Jesus gag, <laughs> right? <laughs> I remember those days. Maybe he didn't like broccoli. <laughs> but he had to learn all those things. He... I say this frequently, every, almost every Sunday I say this, Jesus lived the life that we could never live. He lived the perfect life. That doesn't mean that he didn't like certain foods or, or, or that he didn't get tired or any of those things. He became like us. The second thing is that Jesus is the heir of all things, according to Hebrews. He, he's the heir of all things. All things is his. It belongs to him. Like he owns it all. In the Bible, the Bible says that um, that through Jesus, all things were created by him and for him. When he took, took on human flesh by way of the miraculous conception that, that did not include a biological father, he was born without the nature to sin. He lived the perfect life we could never live. But yet he was tempted in every way, the Bible says. He, uh, he had to become like us. There's this, there's this thing in this, this principle that we learn about in the Bible. It's called the kinsman redeemer. And uh, I'll just be brief in describing it to you. But, but if, if a certain property was lost to a family, this is in the Old Testament law um, for the, for the Jewish, Jewish people. If a certain property was lost to a family because maybe they're in debt or, or something happened, and that, that inheritance was lost to them, there could be a kinsman redeemer. And a kinsman redeemer is simply this. He had to be a kin. <laughs> he had to be a member of the family. He had to have the ability to pay for the property that was lost, and he had to be willing to do that. Long ago, there was a garden. Adam and Eve were in that garden, and they sinned against God. As a result, we have, we have struggled with that sin ever since, from generation to generation. One theologian said this, that uh, Adam and Eve bit into the fruit, and our teeth have ached ever since. And that's the, I, I think that makes the most sense about why our world is so upside down. Jesus became like us. He became a kin. <laughs> he took on human flesh. He had the ability to purchase back what was lost because he's not just human. He's also fully God. And he's willing. He was willing to, do so, to, to pay the price, the ultimate price. He died a death that each and every one of us deserved. The third thing is that Jesus is the creator of the world, the author of Hebrews says. The creator of the world was laid in a manger. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. Like that passage I was referring to earlier in Colossians chapter 1, it says, For by him all things were created, both the heavens and, and, on, on, and, and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Speaking of Jesus, the one who was laid in the manger... Think about this one. Was responsible for all the material that made that manger, that made that feeding trough. The, th the fourth thing is that Jesus re radiates the glory of God. Here's the thing. He, he doesn't radiate the glory of God like the sun or like the moon reflects the light of the sun. Jesus is the... the he radiates the glory of the Father. Like like the sun radiates light. He is God in flesh. 
The fifth thing that we learn about this, about this Jesus who's laid in the manger is that he is the exact representation of God's nature. I have two sons. You, you, you got to see the first one. Does he look like me? <laughs> Not really. You can be honest. Like, <laughs> like, he has some of my features, but I am white like sour cream. <laughs> my wife is Asian. He looks more like his, his, his mom. And, uh, but we, he's my son, 100%. He shares my DNA. But he is not the exact representation of me. There is only one who's the exact representation of the Father, and that is Jesus. That is Jesus, because he is God the Son. Like Jesus, you know, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? When you see me, you see the Father. There's a song, a popular song, and it's sung in some churches. We've sung it in this church on occasion. And there's a line in that song. You know, Mary, did you know? That, uh, you know, when you touch the face of your child, you are touching the face of God. Mary and Joseph and the shepherds saw, when they saw the face of Jesus, they saw the face of God. The sixth thing here, and I'm almost done, is that Jesus is the sustainer of creation. The Bible says he holds all things together by the word of his power. <laughs> like the, the molecules that make up that, that, that manger. We're told that Jesus, had the, by the word of his power, was able to maintain those things. Um, this is why Jesus was able to walk on water, cure diseases, raise the dead in quiet storms with the word of his mouth. The seventh thing that we learn of this Jesus that was laid in the manger is that he is a qualified and willing redeemer. When, when John the Baptist saw Jesus shortly before Jesus was baptized, he said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The ancient prophet Isaiah said of this Jesus before he even knew the name of, of this Jesus, he prophesied, but he, speaking of Jesus, was pierced for our offenses he was crushed for our wrongdoings, and the punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, and I want you to hear these words, friends, that he that is God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. There is only one way, one way to know that your sins are forgiven, and that is through Jesus. This leads me to the second to my last observation, is that Jesus is the only one who can save. We're told in Hebrews that he sat down after making purification of sins, he sat down. See, the, the priests in, in Israel, they would, they, they would, there was a sacrificial system, and the sacrificial system was designed to, to remind the people that, that they always needed a sacrifice because what they offered was never enough. So what did the priest do? He was always standing. The, the author of Hebrews is making the point that when Jesus went to the cross, he bore every sin that you have committed, are committing, and will ever commit on that cross. And he took upon himself the wrath of a, whole, of a holy God in your place and in my place. That's part of the message of Christmas. And he took it all. This is why, like, hours before he was to be betrayed and crucified, he was in a garden. And literally, the, the name of the garden means the olive press. 
And as he was contemplating what he was about to do, he, he, the Bible tells us he sweat great drops of blood. And he said something in that garden. He said, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, let your will be done. The, the, the cup that he was referring to was not a physical cup. It was a metaphorical cup. It was the cup of God's wrath for sin. And you know what he did? He drank every last drop when he went to that cross. That is part of the Christmas message. You cannot separate the virgin birth from the cross of Christ and the, and the empty tomb. So he died for us. This is why we read in the Bible, there is salvation found in no one else but the name of Jesus the Christ, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. And then finally, Jesus is to be worshipped because of who he is. Like, it's okay to have questions about this Jesus. And I've had many people in my office, I've sat across the table at many coffee shops with skeptics. I used to be a skeptic as well about this Jesus. It's okay to have questions, but at some point, you're going to have to cross over the threshold of, of what you do and what you don't know and to embrace him as the one who was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived a life that you could never live. He lived that life uh, in your place, and he died a death in your place that you deserve to experience and undergo the wrath of God so that you could become a friend of God. The Bible says we're alienated from God from the moment of birth. This is, this, this, for some of you, you've been searching for joy. You've been seeking joy and contentment. It's been fleeting. And the reason why it's fleeting is because you and I, we bear the image of the living God. We were created in his image. And, and your purpose, which is another, one of the other more important questions you can answer, what is your purpose? Your purpose is not in your job. It's not with the person that you're sitting next to. It's not in your children. It's not what's in your bank account. Your bank account. It's not in what you can do. Your purpose is in, in what you were created to be. You bear the image of the living God. You were, every nerve ending and every organ and everything in you was made to know the God who spoke the galaxies into existence. And we, because we're born into sin, we run from him like a thief runs from a cop. That is our nature. And he entered into our mess, in a, and it was laid in a manger, surrounded by all kinds of stuff and people, as an illustration of what he would do. That he would bear our sins. I want to read one other passage to you, and, and then I want to quote somebody that I think most of you are familiar with. The Apostle Paul said this in the New Testament, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, speaking of Jesus, by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is, which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This is who was born on that first Christmas, friends. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. It's the most important thing you can do. And it's not just believing with your head. It's committing with your heart. I didn't see any one of you. Now, these are new chairs. I didn't see anybody come in. Now, there's a lot of you. I didn't see any of you come in and examine the chair before you sat in it. You just sat in the chair. And the reason why you sat in the chair is because you trusted it would hold you up. You had faith that the chair that you had never interacted with before would hold you up. That's the same kind of faith the Bible requires in believing in Jesus. 
You don't have to have all the answers, but you do need to be settled on this one thing. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a life that we can never live. He died a death that we deserved. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. No other founder of any religion ever did that. His tomb is still empty today. Siddhartha Gautama, I studied Buddhism. Uh, he's the founder of Buddhism. He died of rice, bad rice porridge. Muhammad is dead. Every other founder of every other religion is dead. Jesus died and he's alive. He rose from the grave. That's why most of you are here this morning. There's a quote that I came across by J.R.R. Tolkien, one of my favorite guys. I love the Lord of the Rings. I love the Hobbit. He said this, and I don't know if you know this, but J.R. Tolkien was a Christian. And he said this, the gospels contain a fairy story. Fairy story, like fairy tale. Or a story of a larger kind, which embraces all the essence of fairy stories. But this story is supreme, and it is true. Art has been verified. God is the Lord of angels and of men and of elves. Legend and history have met and fused. That's who was born on that first Christmas. There's a guy by the name of Tim Keller who I respect. He just recently died and went home to be with Jesus. Tim Keller said this of, of Christ. And if the manger could speak, it would say something to the effect, if you were a hundred times worse. No, if you were a thousand times worse than you are. If you were 10 trillion times worse than you are, your sins would be no match for his mercy. So my question to you is why wait? If you don't have a relationship with God because you do not have a relationship yet with Jesus Christ, why wait? Why wait? The greatest gift that has ever been offered to you is right before you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if you just embrace that by faith, the Bible says you will be saved. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.